put in a chat if you're able to. Like I said, I know we're having some issues with our website. Uh, everywhere else is okay, just, just our website uh, on that. So, you know, create, how many letters, how many words that begin with P can you create? So, No, can you give me one? While they're thinking of the uh, sum, can you give me one that begins with P? Pastor. I mean, they're giving you hints. Pastor, I have prayer over here. Peaceful. Do what? That's not what I thought. That's not what I Propitiation. Oh, that is a seminary wide chance here if I've ever heard of one. Propitiation, that's a really long churchy word. Uh, Ron, you want to take care of that next week? You can just you can define propitiation in a very succinct 40-minute way. Easier than predestination. Were you predestined to say that? Okay, you just decided to. And there's a whole lot of different words in there. Predestination, propitiation, others. Praise. No. Pie. Yeah. Purple power. Power. Purple. No. Purple pink. Huh? Purple ball? Whatever. It's a medication. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All these medical things. Others. Persevere. Perseverance. Persevere. Perseverance. Puppies. Huh? Puppies. Puppies. What did you say, Dan? Pickle. Pickle. Pickle up. Do what? Pastor, yeah. Pastor Ken already said that. Paul, you know. You know. Polarize. Passion. Pecans. What was that? Power. Practice. Okay. Do what? Popcorn. You know, potatoes. Party. Party. Larry's house. Okay. Do what? Puppy. You know, we can go on and on and on. We forgot one word to some extent. It's the word, it's that P word. Patience. We all want it. We wanted it yesterday. Calvin doesn't want it. <laughs> what was that, Calvin? That's what happens when you ask for it. Let me give you the bad news before I give you the good news. We don't have to ask for it. Actually, it's just something as people of God, another B word, that we're supposed to have. Is patience. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We all wanted it, but we wanted it yesterday. Or better yet, we all want it to be shown to us when we want it shown to us. And here, in these final moments of, of James, the book of James, we read these words, Be patient, ah, James. As if he hadn't said enough other things to step on our toes, enough other things to get in the way. He says, Be Patience. Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, we don't 
We all want it. We just don't want to go through the process to get it. Yet as people of God, this is our calling. As James is reminding the people. Because we all need hope. Hope is very powerful. Hope is what keeps us moving on. Hope is the one of the essential characteristics of our faith. We are people of hope. But in order to have hope, we must learn to be patient because hope at its core means we do not get what we want when we want it. It's very much tied to faith, James would say. So where is your hope? What gives you hope? How do you gain more hope? How do you give hope away? See, for the, for the book of James, for them, the early Christians, which is very similar to ours, when, when the world around them was causing chaos, was, was not as easy as it used to be, when it was causing trials and sufferings and tribulations and, and people were saying things that they didn't like. James writes to them to remind them of our true hope. When, he, when there's conflict on the outside of the church, sometimes what happens is there becomes conflict on the inside as well. Because we want to come here and we want to feel safe and secure, and so anybody rubs us the wrong way, we might want to speak against them. And, and James is once again reminding of a continual theme, but this time to the brothers and sisters who are dealing with maybe the consequences of other people's choices. The consequences of the fact that others are not doing things the way maybe Scripture would even say. And he reminds them to be patient. In fact, that word for patience in the Greek is like five out of five times in these very short verses is there. And then it's close second that Daniel told us perseverance is twice. Seven times within uh, these four to five verses we see this. And, and time again, he's using that P word to ground us today in the church of the early days in our true hope. He doesn't say, though, be patient then, brothers, and sisters, because everything will turn out all right, does he? Look at verse 7 there. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, be patient, brothers and sisters, because they will get what they deserve. Though I think that's hinted at in verses 8 and 9 when it says the judge is standing at the door. He doesn't say, be patient, brothers and sisters, because you don't have to worry about a thing. For they already knew that not to be true. He said, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Eschatology is everyone's favorite word, right? No? I know it's some of your favorite word. You know, eschatology, the study of end times, or things at the end. And eschatology is a big word that can be thrown around. There's great preachers and pastors who are preaching uh, on this, and, and you can find those, and, 
And James gives us a hint of why eschatology is important. Sometimes though we get caught up in eschatology, on the study of last things. It, it's the study of judgment, the study of death, the study of heaven and hell, the study of what the future will look like when God makes all things new. It's important, but we can get caught up in it if we're not careful. Eschatology is necessary. There's lots of things within Scripture that is eschatological. Say that 29 facts. All right? Jesus had very much eschatology on mind, in mind at times when he shared some parables and stories. The prophets had that. And, and we can get so caught up in trying to find the specifics that we lose the point of eschatology. See, the eschatology isn't just about something that will happen in the future as if it doesn't have present-day consequences. James doesn't say, look out to the Lord's coming and just kind of keep your eyes out there. There's a reason for it today, and that's because if we want and can and will, eschatology, the study of last things, will produce hope. I put can there because it depends. I have worked with people, good, dear Christians, who had studied eschatology so much, they had no hope. And I had to tell them, stop. Now, I know that sounds kind of intuitive, right? Why would a pastor tell somebody to quit studying eschatology and the things of Scripture? Because eschatology is not meant to have us become paralyzed or fearful or ready to go out and fight every whim. That's not why Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming again, so that we can just sit down and go, Well, I'll just wait. Or to be paralyzed by not knowing all the specifics. You know, we, we love to know, don't we? Like one of our main primary fears is the fear of the unknown. And, and, and if we're not careful, we try to study eschatology to know when Jesus is coming back again. Jesus said, no one knows the time or the dates. Only the Father in heaven. We can make predictions. Yes, Jesus also said, there are signs of the end coming. And we're, some people, and, and I think maybe rightfully so, will say, see, we're in that. We have famines, and we have floods, and there was just a tornado in Mississippi, and we have wars, and we have rumors of war. See, we have to be at the end, right? I will say this. This is my response to all that. And I don't mean it sarcastically. We are closer to the end today than we were yesterday. And it may sound like a pastoral cop-out, and it is, but the reality is, is the early church saw some of these signs, and they really thought they were at the end. I mean, when Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD, after the book of James is written, in my opinion, the church really thought, here it is. Then you have the words that Jesus says in the gospel where, where some standing here will, won't die before they see that. Or and when he says about the gospel, John, or the writer John, uh, the disciple, he says, well, what does it matter to you if he stays alive until I come back? And so the rumor was the apostle John would, would see the second coming. Well, I think Peter thought he was going to see the second coming. They, they had no they, they had idea, but their eschatology influenced their present-day living, and so must ours. Our view of the end times 
must influence how we live today. I have sat in what is known as ordination councils. Pastor, can you remember those things? You remember yours? Was it nice and easy? Uh, 
uh, preterist, I believe, if I remember correctly. Did I forget any others? There's a variety. You, you can have, if, if whatever version of ice cream you like, you can find a slice of it, or pie, I should say, since I'm doing slice. Well, whatever kind of pie you like, there is a version of eschatology to go with it. And I have seen at times where there is debate upon debates about eschatology, and some of that is healthy. I have a particular viewpoint, but my point within all of my uh, times in one of these is to ask the candidate, how does your view of end times influence today? I don't agree with the post-millennial view of eschatology, but I will tell you some of the great uh, <coughs> evangelists of history had that viewpoint in mind. Because their view of the end times dictated they had to be extremely uh, persevering and extremely passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know some people who have an all-millennial view of the end of time who is completely committed to loving others because of that view. I know some people who have a free mill view of mine <clears throat> and would rather just sit in a pew than do anything with it. And James is saying, because of the Lord's coming, there is something that happens today. Because of the Lord's coming, you can be patient in suffering, you can be patient in affliction, because he is coming again, and that is the point of eschatology, is Jesus is coming again. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or another 2,000 years, he's coming again. That's the essential view of eschatology that's important. I'm not saying that others are not. But if we believe Jesus is coming again, then we can patiently wait knowing that we have not been forgotten. We can have a hope. And what James is saying is because of the Lord's coming, you can have hope today. Because of the Lord's coming, you don't need to grumble and complain about one another because he's coming again. And he is the judge of things. What James is saying is we need to live now what we will be in the future. Why don't we grumble and complain about one another now? Why don't we, as we learn next week, why don't we just say yes or no now instead of swearing uh, you know, about it? Why do we be careful about how we store up treasure? Why do we not boast now? Because in the future, those things that aren't going to be part of it. Because in the future, we're all going to be together. Because in the future, we are going to be with God. The great promise of all of eschatology, in my opinion, and this is just a, my opinion and not even maybe a great opinion, it's just mine, and you're allowed a different opinion than mine, the, the great promise of eschatology is not how God is going to do it, though I think that is important. It will be what I think is true based on Revelation 21 is when we will finally dwell with God and He with us. That's the hope of the future. I don't care if it's old streets or not. I don't care if there's no sea or there is. I'm going to be with my Savior. That's the hope of eschatology. 
That's why I can persevere. That is what gave, as James is saying here in James 5, that is what gave the prophets of old, and that's what gave Job a perseverance, is that they could have hope in this one that one day they might see. Job proclaimed, I don't think he knew fully what he said, my Redeemer lives, and I shall see him. His hope was for a future, but he decided he was going to try to live that out in the present. That is our job. We should, what, what, what glory will be eternity, what that will be is, is that we're just practicing now. David, I know you're not practicing baseball right now, are you? Maybe next week, right? Okay, but, it, it, but why do you practice? Get better. Because practice makes permanent, right? Maybe not perfect, depending on how you do it. But you practice for the game, right? What happens if you never practice and you just play games? Do what? You're going to be really bad. Friends, brothers and sisters, we're practicing for the future. What we do now matters in the future. What we do now is what we will be doing, what will become natural in the future. And that's why James over and over talks about how we get along with one another. You know, we, we are able to be patient with one another. This is why patience is the outgrowth of the truth of Jesus. An impatient Christian is hypocritical. It's not supposed to be there. Now, our world can be impatient, can they not? A world can demand things and demand it now, can they not? But for us as followers of Jesus, that is not our way. That's not the character of God. Peter says, in, in I believe First Peter, God is patient. He's not slow as we understand slowness, but he desires many to come to him. That is why he seems he has delayed in coming back. Why he might delay another day, I don't know. But, but we are to be patient people. God's story is filled with patience and perseverance. From the very beginning of Scripture through the end, the climax being on the cross. Jesus patiently waited for the time when the time was right. And he says, my time has finally come. As Paul puts, I believe, in Galatians, at the appointed time, at the right time, Christ came, lived, and died. He was born of a virgin and set into place. At the right time, God was patient all those years. And he has been patient all these years. And he's reminding us to be patient, to persevere. We count as blessed those who persevere. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. Not just in Job's life, but the early church, we as God's people, as the writer of Hebrews says, we see now what others patiently waited and hoped for, the culmination of God's salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Because God, as he says here in verse 11, is full of compassion. And mercy. God's character helps us live in relationship with others. 
See, I and I have only been in ministry now 23 years, 20 years full time. But the call started really earlier than that. Uh, it started uh, another six years earlier than that. I've had to wrestle with that call many times. I still do. And I wonder if the Lord really knew what he was doing. I'm convinced he did. But, you know, I have to trust him, right? And that's how all of us do this. Um, but at one time, I had really struggled with some of these things. I had private conversations with others, and we were in the same boat. And it, and it, and it, it very easily and quickly got around to uh, what we thought of certain individuals. And it borderline, if it wasn't already, grumbling against others. And complaining about what they've done, maybe rightfully so, but we weren't, it wasn't producing anything. Until we started to look at God's character and his love and his mercy and his grace. And as I like to say here, and I, I've learned uh, from someone somewhere else, but by the grace of God, that we are. And that I had to extend grace because but by the grace of God, that would be me. Because at the cross, I was given grace, and so I extend grace. And this is the hope James is trying to give. He's not telling those who are poor that, it's, that, that what's happening is what they deserve, but he's trying to say life is crummy. Some of you are in crummy situations of life. Some of you are in the unknown situations of life. You don't know what tomorrow has in many ways. And what James and what Jesus would say to you is look to the future that sticks through this one. Because there is someone who is full of compassion and mercy who will be the rightful judge, who is the rightful judge. That's why we don't judge one another harshly because we understand this role. And we live in relationship with one another. Not because they're always going to get a prize. But because I have a hope in the future known as eschatology, that Jesus is coming back. I believe in a place where God will make his dwelling with you and me. I believe there's a place because of God's character and his mercy and his compassion where, where what has been done in secret will be rewarded by the Lord himself. Where that when we do something in his name with the motives, he notices. And so I don't have to require others to notice those things. I can just continue to be faithful on because he is coming again. And so, may we allow the coming of Jesus to help us grow in hope of who Jesus is and in his truth. May we not be as adverse to that key Word. Well, may we continue on actively being patient as the Lord's coming. I pray every week the Lord comes. You know that? On Sunday mornings, I pray even harder when the Lord comes. Typically before 1030. You know? Uh, so you guys don't have to worry about persevering any longer. Uh, you know, then we can persevere in this. Is the Lord coming today? I sure hope so. But maybe not today. But surely it's coming. Soon he will be here. All the scripture points to that fact. That he is gone and he is coming back again. I have specific views 
of what that will look like. But my views, they matter, but they don't matter if I can't patiently, lovingly serve one another. It doesn't matter if I get everything right about the end times if I cannot get right to love them now and to love others as you love them. I might have right theology, but you know, theology isn't any good if it isn't lived out. What we might call orthopraxy. I know I'm throwing big words at you, Or right living. The praxis is practice. The truth of Scripture is when we get to heaven, it's when real life begins. It begins now and goes for all eternity. This is the practice style for the real man. And we need to practice patience. Do I like it? No. Do I wish James would have said it? Yes. But now I must live. Because it does no good for me to hear these words and then not do it. You know, we're coming in a time, you know, Leland and Art are probably wondering, will I ever get in my field this spring? We've had a lot of moisture there. But you know you can't do anything to get that seed to come back up out of your pitch of beans, huh, Leland? Except what? Pray sometimes. <laughs> and waits. Patiently waits until the fall comes. And then you go, wow. This was a good crop. And I know most farmers, they, 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 they understand this. They may say my crop was a bumper crop this year. But I, I've talked with Leland and Art well enough and other farmers to know. They know they really had nothing to do with it. I mean, yes, they may have planted at the right time. They may harvest at the right time. They may put the fertilizer and other stuff on at the right time. But it wasn't something they did. The weather had a lot to do with it. Or lack thereof. Same is with us. We patiently plant the seeds. We pray the seeds grow. We let the seasons of life come in. And we persevere patiently waiting until the Lord comes when he says, Behold, I am coming. And he will catch us up together with him. And he will reward us for what we have done for him. Not that we are saved by works, no. We work because we are saved. It is because of grace we are saved, but there is always a response. And the response that James is telling his fellow believers and us today is be patient because the judge is standing at the door. And he is full of compassion and mercy. Therefore, you can also be full of compassion and mercy this day. We pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time. May we find ourselves at, at the foot of the cross where we see love and mercy and grace and compassion meeting, where we see you in all your truth and your justice saying, I've done something about the issues of the world. I've done something about the sin that is in every single one of us. And that we would allow you to pay the penalty for our sins. By accepting you as Lord and Savior. By receiving that grace. And then by being active in our hope of the coming time when you will come back. 
so that we may be with you. And on that great promise of revelation, that our dwelling place will be with you and you will dwell with us. We will be your people and you will be our God. Fully, face to face. And may we live that out now. That we would live out the confidence of who you are in our world because then we will be people of hope. We will be people of love, of joy, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, and people of self-control. And the world will not understand it. But we are living for you, not for it. And so may we find our hope and may we take your stand in this dry and weary land that can uh, make our souls wither until we realize our soul can find rest in you. And that makes life doable. And we will persevere faithfully until the end. For then we will hear you say, I know us. Welcome home. Come and experience the joy of your Lord, Savior, and Master. And may we experience that joy this day as well. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. May we live it out this week. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Are you